Our text for the day is from Psalm 148. Praise to you from the sky's boundary. Praise to you from the mountain's crown. Praise to you from winged angels, from all the hosts of heaven and earth, the stars in their unimaginable brightness, the heavens in their silent dome, and the waters beyond those heavens. All wordlessly praise your unnameable name, for by your timeless speech all is created. Why should it be? And all is established endlessly, your unsayable saying that none can unsay. All life of earth is your praise, and the life of the sea in all unknowable depths. Fire and hail, snow and cloud, tornado and hurricane, all is your speaking. Mountains and hills, fruit trees and cedars, wildcats, cattle, buzzards, birds, kings and their subjects, princes, judges, young men, young women, old men, boys, all are your names praising, for your unspeakableness alone is what is. Your brightness lights the earth and sky, raises us up, blares out the note from your people's trumpet, an exultant blast for all who struggle with you and all who are close at hand. Here is the reading of the psalm. So this uh, special time of year always brings to mind certain things for me like raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, visions of sugar plums dancing in heads, and a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) My prayer for you this morning is that those songs don't stay in your head all day long like they did for me all day yesterday. And of course, I also think of Ricky Bobby. Okay, I heard one laugh. Kate was the only one that laughed this morning when I just said his name. That's the character that Will Ferrell plays in the movie Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. It's not a Christmas movie. It's not even a family movie. But his table blessing is prayed to baby Jesus, and that's a classic, if somewhat raunchy, ode to the Christmas baby. So here's the beginning part, which is all I can repeat in a family service. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, or as our brothers in the South call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the ever-delicious Taco Bell. So it goes on in that kind of vein uh, until he starts another inane series of comments with, Tiny Infant Jesus. And at this point, his wife interrupts him and says, "Uh, You know, honey, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit off-putting to pray to a baby. To which Ricky Bobby responds this way, Well, look, I like Christmas Jesus best when I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. Exasperated, she just says, Just finish the grace. So he continues with this phrase, Dear eight-pound, six-ounce newborn infant Jesus. That isn't in the Bible, by the way. Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, but still omnipotent. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. (laughs) So Ricky Bobby actually kind of summarizes the theme of this sermon, Baby Jesus and the Big Bang, without knowing it, because as his wife tried to explain to him, the baby Jesus does become a man, rather quickly, in fact, because the appointed gospel text for this Sunday is actually about teenage Jesus in the temple, And then 
Next Sunday, the coming of the wise men, which is actually the 13th day of the 12 days of Christmas, or what we call Epiphany. The wise men bring gold, frankincenses, and myrrh, as we know, all of which were standard gifts to honor a king, suggesting Jesus' adult ministry. And myrrh itself was an anointing oil used to honor the bodies of those who had died, further implying grown-up Jesus' fate at the hands of the Roman Empire. So the Gospels always refer to the entire Christ event as we learn it, the teaching, passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then there's the Gospel of John, makes something new of the Christ part of Jesus the Christ, making this revelation a cosmic event. The opening words of his Gospel, words that were read at the end of every service we just held on Christmas Eve, tell us that, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning. So the writer of John, bringing in Greek philosophy as well as the Jewish feminine wisdom tradition, makes of the Christ the pre-existent creative energy of the divine, which, by the way, is the feminine aspect of the Godhead. The Greek word for word is logos, as you probably know, or how things are dynamically shaped, how the universe is put together. Matthew Fox gives it a far better synonym, I think, when he calls it the divine creative energy. And you can insert that for the word word in that uh, opening verses of John, the divine creative energy. Richard Rohr puts it this way. He said, God's first idea was to pour out divine infinite love into finite visible forms, that is, the physical universe. Our scientific name for that first idea is the Big Bang, And Christ, he says, is our Christian theological name for it. Both, though, are about love and beauty exploding outward in all directions. Hence the leap from baby Jesus to the Big Bang, tying the baby Jesus to this cosmic Christ and to the appointed psalm for the day, Psalm 148, that you just heard. And if you read it over again, you'll see again that it's a psalm with every order of creation crying out praise to the divine creative energy. From the heavenly host, the angels, to the stars in the sky, to all life within the sea and on the land, to nature's elements of fire and snow, tornado and tsunami, to all manner of plant and animal and human life, all crying out that we were created by your timeless speech. God's Word, the Logos, the divine feminine creative principle of the Godhead. The psalm is an image of all creatures joining in doxology, in praise of the divine. So this conception of the preexistent divine creative energy appearing in the human form Jesus has been alive for eons. One of the earliest sayings of Jesus actually is found in the Gospel of Thomas, and it's a saying I really particularly love, particularly in this context. In the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus says this, I am the light that is over all things. Like in John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Again, that's the cosmic Christ speaking. I am the light that is over all things. I am all. From me all come forth. Split a piece of wood, I am there Lift a stone, you will find me there. And so this, of course, is not the human Jesus of Nazareth speaking. It is what many now refer to as this cosmic Christ, a characterization that the author of creation spirituality, one of our past spiritual searchers, Matthew Fox, brought back into prominence. The cosmic Christ is this divine presence in all things. 
As Pierre Teilhard de Chardin says in the bulletin quote that I put in, the cosmos is fundamentally and primarily living. Christ, through his incarnation, is interior to the world, rooted in the world, even in the very heart of the tiniest atom. Therefore, he says, I shall have become a living particle of the body of Christ. Christ will flood into and over me, me and my cosmos. So in the baby Jesus, we know that we celebrate the declaration of the incarnation, that God is with us, that the Christ is the animating force of the human Jesus who personalizes it and makes it personal to each one of us as well. So it lets us know and affirm if humans did not before, and I think they did know before, they wouldn't have called it the Christ. It helps us know that it is the Christ, God's creative energy that animates each one of us and all human beings, and in fact, everything, every element, every cell, every object in all the universe. That's what this psalm is about, that we and everything indeed are living particles of the body of Christ, the oneness. Meister Eckhart was an incredibly postmodern mystic in the 14th century, and he said it this way, every creature is a word of God and a book about God. The traditional shamans of indigenous peoples knew that we could communicate with the spirits of all the natural and animal world to the trees or even to the breeze, and we need to move again into that spiritual understanding of the nature of matter, now perhaps more than ever. So if it would help to have a modern myth that says the same thing, George Lucas created one 40 years ago. When I was talking to Christy Kane, who is actually the brains and administrator of the Burkhart Center, about the theme of this sermon, she told me about how her son Jack, when he was in the fourth grade, now he's almost through high school, uh, was in Sunday school, and Don Coston was teaching a, me- a lesson much like this, and Jack piped up and said this, Oh, you mean like the Force? Because in that first Star Wars movie in 1977, that fictional mystic Yoda teaches Luke Skywalker about the Force. So in his initial training, Luke is failing uh, as a Jedi Knight until Yoda tells him about his own powerful ally, the Force. Yoda says, life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us, it binds us. Luminous beings are we, he says, and tells Luke this, You must feel the force around you, between you and me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. Like this psalm, or like Jesus, lift a stone, you will find me there. So we do need to come back more into this recognition that the traditional indigenous peoples have had. Uh, Not too long ago, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report came out saying that we have maybe only 12 years, at best 15 or 20, to reverse the effects of climate change before even more catastrophic consequences ensue, greater than those already happening with more devastating fires and floods and hurricanes than we've ever experienced. So we need now to recognize the complete interconnectedness of all beings on the earth, animated by this force of divine energy, even inanimate objects, And we need to be in touch with these other beings in a far more intimate way. So our indigenous peoples still understand this, if we would listen to them. Terrence Green is a professor of earth and environmental studies. He also happens to be a Native American. 
And he talks about how his great-grandfather would have responded hearing this news about the severity of climate change on the planet. He says, if my great-grandfather had been confronted by the same dire threat to the earth, he would first of all have spoken to the wind, to the eagle, and the spirits would have taught him because they would be in relationship with each other. So yeah, that comes from a particular creation story, a myth like all creation stories even the Big Bang, but that doesn't mean it's not true. So we have this new creation story now from science that says that we've come from 14 billion years of organic unfolding of the universe, from the Big Bang, whatever that was. And we are connected physiologically with every being in the universe. We are all made of the same stuff. Brian Swim, who spoke here as a spiritual searcher, said the same thing that actually Joni Mitchell says in her song Woodstock, we truly are all made of stardust, and that includes the entire planet. But the time is now to recognize that all things are made of stardust, all particles are, are, are particles of the body of Christ, just because just about every animal species on the planet is diminishing, many of them going extinct. I'll just give you one example, because studies are now confirming that even our insect populations are dying off. El Yunque National Forest is in Puerto Rico. It's the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. national forest system. But in the last 40 years, the insect population, including those creepy crawlies like spiders and centipedes, has dropped by the unimaginable amount of 98% loss. That's not all. With that loss of insects, birds and lizards and toads have experienced similar dramatic plunges in their existence, with some species vanishing entirely from that rainforest. And that's because they are insectivores, animals that feed on insects, and that harm goes spiraling right up the food chain. Now, that may sound good for summer backyard barbecues, but insects are the infrastructure of our planet, holding together the biorhythms of life on Earth. So that loss starts a chain reaction that doesn't stop before it gets to human beings because we are simply a part of this ecosystem. We might be just a little lower than the angels, says the sacred text, but we are not any higher physically than the smallest bacteria or insect. Martin Luther King said this, we are caught up in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. That's true of the entire planet, even though he was talking about human beings. When Jesus, speaking as the cosmic Christ in the Gospel of Thomas, says that I am the light in all things, he is the light in the spider and the centipede, the light in the bird and the lizard, the light also in the cat and the dog as well, our own pets. And so Matthew Fox again reminds us that the cosmic Christ also contains within it this, the cosmic cross of Christ. Because Christ, he says, is not just the light in all things, the Christ is the wound in all things. And he says there's a theology of the cross of Christ for grasping our ecological crisis. When a forest is being destroyed, the Christ is being crucified all over again. Or when one out of four mammals is going extinct, which is happening today, the Christ is being crucified all over again. The Christ in the polar bear, the Christ in the elephant, the Christ in the whale. And he says this, For Christians, there are two sacred texts at least. 
The book about God is not just the Bible, which is 2,500 years old. It is also the book of the universe, which is 14 billion years old. One of my first teachers, Alan Watts, would say that we humans often act as though we are aliens who happen to have been visiting Earth. But then he uses this phrase, just as flowers bloom, so the Earth peoples. We arise out of the Earth out of the universe, out of that divine creative energy, along with everything else in the manifest world. In this vision of the cosmic Christ, we know better our true connection with the earth and with each other. So, in those intervening 40 years, Luke Skywalker learned a lot more about the Force. And in the latest continuation of the myth, Star Wars The Last Jedi, he helps young Rey learn even deeper truths about this divine creative energy binding the universe. So they're on this isolated island where Luke has been in seclusion for years, and he's now a much older Mark Hamill. Um, he has her kneel down to a rock, close her eyes, and he says, breathe, just breathe. Reach out with your feelings. She does that, and he asks, what do you experience? So she begins to see in her mind, actually, and feel in her body. She says, this land, life, death and decay. And you're seeing these images come up as she's going through this. Life, death, and decay that feeds new life. Warmth, cold, peace, violence. Luke says, and between it all, she says, balance energy, a force. And then he says this, and inside you, a smile comes across her face and she says, inside me, that same force. Inside me, inside you, inside every single human being and every atom and cell, bringing balance and energy, this force. And even the death and decay is interesting in the season of winter in the northern hemisphere, which is that time we recognize that the decay is actually the seed being nurtured in the ground, springing into new life. Or, theologically for Christians, in the death and resurrection of the Christ. An erudite journalist named Dar Jamal says that in this age of ecological crisis, an earth-based spirituality is as necessary as water and food, if not even more so. We must remain, he says, attuned to the wisdom of the earth herself. But you know, this wisdom of the earth is also the wisdom of our souls, tapping in either case into that divine creative energy, the force, if you want to call it that, as the bond between the world and us, between, the wor between us and God. Just like that insect and even deeper, the microco uh, microbial bacterial world, which are the infrastructures of our physical lives, so our true divine essence is the infrastructure of our spiritual selves. Yoda says in this video, you are, we are luminous beings, not just this, and he touches Luke's shoulder. He's not talking about the fact that the physical body is wrong. Actually, we need to celebrate that as well. But actually that we are also these spiritual beings, to be able to rest in this deeper spiritual nature that we are, this divine luminous being, is what truly, truly saves us, brings us, that is, the wholeness and the balance and the energy we seek for ourselves and for those we love 
and for the planet as well. So practices that move us out of our heads and into our hearts, into our feelings and our inner depths, that allow our ego selves to take a break for a little while from their incessant activity, that bring us beyond even feelings and sensation into the mysterious depths of a deeper, richer, more true reality than our minds can know. Those kind of practices can put us more fully in touch with the force, the divine creative energy that has always been our guidance system, whether we've known it or not. So we all have an entire new year looming before us where we can engage in practices that allow us to recognize our own connection with the divine in this way and therefore recognize our own interbeingness with all of creation. We could very simply just set aside a short time each day. It actually doesn't take a whole lot. For a little while, just putting down our New Year's resolutions, burying our to-do lists under something, stopping the ongoing self-improvement project, because our superegos all say, you're not enough as you are, so we're always trying to be a better person. Just set that project aside for a few minutes, as well as even all our efforts, wonderful as they may be, of trying to improve the world, to bring more peace and justice and harmony, more dignity to all human beings, to overcome oppression, all of wonderful goals that we need to, need to follow and be a part of as people of faith. But even for a time, set those goals behind us as well as all our agendas and allow another deeper force than our own puny personal wills to move us and to guide us, a divine guidance system, as it were. It's pretty simple, really. Just like Ray in Star Wars, close your eyes and breathe. Just breathe and feel. Our ordinary minds can't grasp this deeper reality. As today's psalm calls it, your unnameable name. But our souls know this force as their true home, a force that has our best interests at heart, but also the best interests of the entire creation. If we but trust it, rest into it, Allow it to be our guidance system. And finally, these types of practice may not only be the best thing we can do for ourselves, each other, and the world, by this kind of non-doing, we may find that it is the most productive non-activity we ever pursue, the most productive time we ever spend. A Sufi mystic once said this, the human being is a copy from the great Quran, which is the cosmos. And we Christians would translate it this way, the human being is a copy of the Christ, which is the cosmos. We are the conscious living expressions of the divine in the world. And this, as Teilhard says, is how we shall become each a living particle in the body of Christ. Amen. <laughs>